We're continuing our sermon series in Mark today. Our scripture reading is Mark 8:22 through 31. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. Well, hey, good morning. Let me join Karen welcoming you this morning. My name is Nate. Pleasure of serving as the pastor here at Redeemer City. Um, how many of you have seen the movie yesterday? Okay, no one. Great. Perfect. Okay, so, okay, all right. Um, here's a premise. Uh, Jack Malik, he's a struggling musician. And there's a freak accident, and he wakes up, and he realizes that he's the only person on earth who can remember the Beatles, the only person. And realizing this, Jack begins to play their music, being forced to claim it as his own. And one of my favorite scenes of this movie is a scene in which Jack is hanging out for a show, and his parents, who he lives with, by the way, struggling musician, makes sense, right? Uh, say, hey, well, let's hear something before you go. And he's like, okay. So he sits down at the piano, and begins to play the song, Let It Be, the 1970s hit that the Beatles came out with. And he gets about like, like through the first lyric, and all of a sudden the doorbell rings. So he has to stop. And then a neighbor comes in, and the parents say, oh, well, just come on in. You know, Jack's showing us his new song. So friend sits down, and Jack continues, or, yeah, Jack continues to play and starts again. And he gets into like the second line. And all of a sudden, the neighbor that just came gets a phone call. And he takes the phone call and begins to talk. And then Jack, of course, has to stop. And then you can tell that Jack's a little bit frustrated that he's on the phone call. So Jack begins to play again. And right away, his dad says something. And all of a sudden, Jack just erupts. And he says this, This is Let It Be. You're the first people on earth to hear this song. This is like watching Da Vinci paint the Mona Lisa right in front of your bloody eyes. Can you just not be quiet for a single second? There is this awkward silence. And then the doorbell rings. Since September, we've been in the Gospel of Mark. 
And we've seen the, the greatness of Jesus. We've seen his works. He's, he's healed. He's cast out demons. He's raised the dead. We've seen him teach with authority. And the question throughout the entire book is one question. Who is this man? And Mark, if you remember, began the gospel with the thesis statement this is who Jesus is. It said this, the, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is his identity. And yet we've gotten to chapter 8 of the gospel of Mark, and people have still not come to that conclusion. They are like Jack's parents in the living room, hearing and seeing greatness, and yet they're not making the connection. In fact, last week, uh, we saw Jesus unpack for the disciples. Two times he's fed multitudes, and at the end of it, he says, do you not yet understand? It's as if Jesus is saying, this is let it be. That is, until today, Peter confesses for the first time in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is the Christ. And what's interesting about this particular passage is right before Peter's confession, Mark puts the healing of a blind man right before it. And this healing is unlike any other healing but one in a couple chapters earlier, and that's actually a part of this, than any other time that Jesus has healed someone. If, if you remember, when Jesus heals, it's instantaneous almost all the time. It's like that. Jesus doesn't even have to be there and, and this person's healed. Sometimes people come up to Jesus and they touch him and they're healed. And Mark, you know, his writing is fast-paced, but Mark slows it down. And he goes very into detail into what happened with this healing. And commentators note this. That what Mark is doing here is it's not merely a historical account, this healing of the blind man, right before Peter's confession, it's a parable. In the midst of the chapter, where we have seen <clears throat> the blindness of the disciples, and now all of a sudden, Peter, the lights come on. Mark, through this healing, is showing us how the spiritually blind can see again. And friends, here's the deal. Whether you've been in church your entire life or whether this is your first Sunday, in one way or another, Mark is trying to show us we're blind. And we need to see. So what do we learn from this passage? Well, three things. And I'll say this, the first two of these points, this week in just preparing, there were two uh, parts of Keller's outline, Tim Keller Pastor, that were so helpful um, that they are really influential, these first two parts. I'll say that because particularly for our congregation at this time, really helpful. That's why I used it. So three things this morning. In order to see again, spiritual sight, it's gradual, it's communal, and lastly, it's Christological. 
So let's pray, and we'll get in. Father, um, we pray now that you would shine on us by your word, that you would open up, your eye, open up our eyes to see your son. Amen. All right. Firstly, it's gradual. Uh, look for a moment with me at verses 23 through 25. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Listen, spiritual sight is restored through a long process. Do you notice how Jesus grabs the young man? And it takes two times for him to see clearly. And what's interesting is you actually see this mirrored in the confession of Peter. You'll notice in, in verses 27 to 30, we'll go there in a moment, but Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, this is who you are. And then right away, Jesus says, don't tell anyone. And then Jesus says in verse 31, he's going to suffer. Now, when you think about the Gospel of Mark, it has taken the disciples the first eight chapters to get to the point where they finally see Jesus as the Christ. That's opening up the eyes number one. It is going to take the rest of the Gospel of Mark to understand that Jesus is going to have to suffer. Do you see the process? Lesson one is he's the Christ. Lesson two, he's the servant who's come to suffer. It's a process. Now, let me be clear. There is a moment of crossing over from death to life, but nevertheless, it's a process. You know, think about it this way. It's like hearing the first lines of Let It Be, and you're like, That's, that song sounds familiar. I'm not sure what it is, but it sounds familiar. And this is significant for a number of reasons. One of them is this, if you're here, maybe you're here, you're curious or you're skeptical, it takes time. It takes time to decipher who Jesus is. One of the things that we have said from the moment Redeemer Seed was planted is we want to be a community where no matter someone, wherever someone's coming from, this is honestly a safe place to wrestle with the claims of Christianity. And it means this, that we ought to be a community that understands that no matter where people are coming from, that it's okay to have questions. It's okay to not believe what we believe. It's actually okay to wrestle with the truths of Christianity. But not just that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's one of the greatest um, preachers of the 20th century, he has a sermon on this very passage, and he talks about finding Christians who are stuck spiritually. In other words, it's almost like they're caught up between the first touch of Jesus and the second touch of Jesus. And he said that some were stuck, they, they knew they were sinners, but what they didn't understand, they didn't understand the extent of God's love. 
or others were more rational, but struggled to understand it experientially. I remember a number of years ago talking to someone, a Christian, and they could tell me the gospel backwards and forwards, clearly the tenets. But then, in the next sentence, they would tell me that they were worthless. They were so aware of their sin and shortcomings, but so unaware of the grace of Christ. They're between touches. Or I think of a conversation a number of years ago with someone who was deconstructing their faith. They were wrestling with their identity. And it was in the midst of talking to them that they began to understand the misperceptions they had the way their faith was built on the misperceptions about Jesus and the church. And the point Lloyd-Jones makes in the sermon is that the blind man, the first time he's touched, Jesus says, can you see? And he it's just kind of funny. He says, if that blind man would have said, yep, I can see, he would have only seen trees the rest of his life, <laughs> right? In other words, he had to say, I can't see. I see sort of. In other words, do you understand? If you're here this morning, you're stuck. In one way or another, do you understand that's normal? You don't have to pretend. You know, um, in fact, it would actually suggest that in one way or another, each one of us could say, I need your touch so I can see you clearly. So firstly, it's gradual. Listen, there, to be clear, there's a moment of crossing over from death to life. That is certainly the case. But nevertheless, it's a long process. But secondly, it's communal. Uh, look at verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. This is almost like one of those points where you almost just kind of gloss over. It's just one of those things. But think about it. There's no way this blind man finds Jesus apart from his friends. There's just no way, right? And, and that means for each one of us, removing spiritual blindness involves others. Do you know that? It involves others. You know, I think about this in the context of just living in Madison and thinking about being just on mission for Jesus. It means walking alongside others patiently. I've got some friends who have built a genuine friendship with a coworker who's not a Christian. And just, it's a process. But one of the things I've loved about this is at one point, um, this coworker has remarked multiple times how different this Christian is, how different their family is, how they do life, and how different they are than the rest of the people around them. They've noted their other-centeredness. They've noticed that they don't get all wrapped up in the status that's around them. And Jesus is oftentimes at the very center of their conversation. That's just normal. Or how about this? I have a friend, and again, 
Think about this as a community of Christians for a moment. I have another, I have another friend who's seen a counselor. And the reason is, is because basically he's been a target of slander. And so weekly, excuse me, monthly, he meets with his counselor. And in my last conversation with him, the one thing that they mentioned was how they're simply walking through his identity in Jesus. Because right in the midst of slander, in the midst of things being said about you, you need to be rooted, not in what others think about you, but in who you are in Christ. And listen, I'm going to tell you right now, this friend of mine, he knows the scriptures, but he needs assistance. He needs another sister, another brother to walk alongside him to help him see, to be reminded. And sometimes that happens in counseling, but other times it's right, it's just the normal ebb and flow of relationships that we were built for, that we were meant to have within the church. One of the passages that came to mind this week was Hebrews 3, uh, 13. Uh, the, the writer in Hebrews says this, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called a day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's interesting. Um, we don't use the word exhort very much, right? But that word means to strongly urge someone. Uh, when was the last time someone knew you well enough that they strongly urged you towards something. Because that assumes that they know you, and that also assumes that, that there's some trust there. And do you understand? Like, I need that. Do you understand? You need that. If, if you're going to see, if you're going to remove spiritual blindness, you need that in your life. You know, one of the things, one of the reasons why we're really pretty simple here at Redeemer City, we gather Sunday, we do city group life together, is for that very fact. So that we can be known, and we can know others, and that we can actually be a part of removing spiritual blindness of those that are around us. It takes a community. I would just say this, if you're here and you've been coming for a while and you're not yet connected to a city group, I could not commend our leaders more than I, I mean, they're, they're just qualified. They are faithful people. Not perfect, but faithful people who love Jesus and genuinely love those in their group. Do you know that? Like that is a place built for people who are wanting to see again. And it takes time. But we need community. Your spiritual blindness in order for it to be removed, it involves others. And then lastly, it's Christological. You know, spiritual sight really comes down to one question. It's the question that Jesus asked Peter, asked disciples, who do you say that I am? And think about that for a moment. There's no other founder of any religion that I know of, in which, that, in which the entire thing comes down to that question. And that means something. I mean, some of you know this, but, but just think about this. That means that 
This is, spiritual sight is not about learning a philosophy. It means spiritual sight is not about knowing a certain set of rules or commandments. That's not what it's primarily about. It means spiritual sight is about knowing a person. And, you know, we hear that, and maybe that's very familiar language. But just for a moment, let's peek in at what happens in this encounter. Because you'll notice that Jesus is having a conversation. He's wanting to know what his disciples say to this question. But notice where he begins. He begins in verse 28, where he asks him, he says, who do people say that I am? And then they respond in verse 28 this way. And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Listen, all three of those are among the greatest names in Israel's history. Do you know that? For example, have you guys heard of Victor Wembenyama yet? So he's seven foot three. He plays for a professional French basketball team. And he is what many NBA teams are doing right now. They're tanking because they want to get him. Because he is being compared to have the same impact as the likes of Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Bill Russell, Kobe Bryant, right? Among those names, right? He's being compared to that. The NBA echelon, or think about it this way. If you're into music, think about a musician that's being compared to the likes, right, of like Elvis Presley or Aretha Franklin or the Beatles or Bob Dylan. Like these are the greatest, right? That's what, that's what the buzz around Jesus is. And notice, no one is saying that he's simply a good moral teacher. No one's saying that. No, the buzz is he's way up here. And when, this is the crazy part. When Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, it means they're not even close to the truth. Do you know that? When Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, they're not even close. See, we often think, oh, the three, and then he's kind of a little bit. No, not even close. Why? The Christ, it's a title. It literally means the anointed one. And it was this promise that was made centuries earlier that God was going to send a king that would set the world right, that would rescue his people. In other words, John the Baptist, Elijah, the prophets, they're merely pointing to him. They are arrows. They are footnotes. He's the king. He's the king of all kings. But not just that. Jesus says, don't tell anyone in verse 30. And the reason is, is because, right, everybody has a take on what to expect with this king. And then Jesus drops this one in verse 31. 
And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Um, in the Old Testament, there are these songs, these poems that talk about a suffering servant. And no one had ever put together that the Christ would also be the same thing as the servant, as a suffering servant. No one had put those two together. In Isaiah 53, one of those songs says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is trying to say, my identity, you have never dreamed about this. You've never thought this but I am the Christ and I am the suffering servant. That's what spiritual sight sees. That that's who Jesus is. So, let me go back for a moment to the eye exam place, the eye doctor place. You know, the Froopter, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, it's that alien-like instrument where you go in, they put it over and they say one or two, three or four. Right? They're trying to figure out, can you see? They're trying to get the right prescription. Mark is trying to put over us the Froopter to show us who Jesus is. And let me give you a couple thoughts here. A couple adjustments you're going to have to make to see him. So think for a moment. If you come from a religious, moralistic background, this is how you oftentimes live. If I obey... If I perform well enough, then God will accept me. But when you look through the lens, the Froopter of Mark 8, when you see that Jesus is a Savior, it means actually you can't save yourself. It means you actually need Him. And it means this, even if you confess that, you functionally need to be reminded that your salvation cannot be achieved, it must be received. It's a gift. But secondly, some of you might be coming and looking through, and maybe you come from more of a secular, irreligious lens. In some ways, we all kind of do. And this lens kind of approaches life where I just need to be true to myself, I need to be free in order to become who I'm meant to be. But here's the thing. When you look through the Froopter of Mark 8, you see the king of all kings who has ultimate authority. And in Colossians 1, it actually says that everything was made for him and by him. And do you know what that means? It means you were made for him and by him. And that means actually... What you think freedom is, it's only found in him. Outside of him, you are a fish out of water. You were built for him. You were made for a relationship with him. And guess what? 
It's the kind of authority that goes all the way and lays his life down for you. Do you see that? Or let me put it this way. When you look through the Froopter, whatever you think is the most important thing in your life, if it's not Jesus, it's footnotes. Do you understand that? If he's the king of all kings. And don't you see, Mark is trying to show us, because if you see him, and when you see him, that literally changes everything. So that's the question that Jesus puts to the disciples, that Jesus puts before us today, right? I'll leave you with it. Who do you say that I am? Let's pray. Father, we, um, we need your help to see. Uh, for many of us, we, um, we understand the right answers, but we need a fresh touch by you to continue to be transformed. Lord, for those that are coming and are questioning about who you are, we pray that you would reveal yourself to them. And Lord, we just pray that in this season, you would help our eyes stay fixed on you and who you are, the coming king who's come to die. It's in your name we pray. Amen.